You probably know Kendra Nystrom. Um, if you're new here, you might not have seen her very often because she's often away doing practical learning. I'll take my stuff away so you can have that. Um, about uh, agriculture. Uh, Kendra, what is your um, profession? <laughs> my profession is student. <laughs> <laughs> But she is a very active learner, and she has, and maybe she'll tell you more about it, but she has a passion for, uh, for God's Word and for sharing God's Word in a particular way. And uh, several months ago, the youth group was having a, a, a study on the parables in Matthew, and, um, and, and Kendra was responsible for sharing some details about the particular parable, the sower and the seed. And I thought that because of her particular experience in learning and agriculture, and uh, she brought some insights that I had never thought of before. And I said, Kendra, would you share that with the church? And she was kind enough to prepare a message for us today. So can I pray with you before I, I step down? <laughs> Lord, I just thank you for Kendra and her willingness to share from her heart things that you've taught her. Please bless her words, please speak through her, and may we be enriched by your word through her today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as the pastor said, he asked me to do this in Sabbath school back in April. So you could say I've either had months of preparation or months of agony. (laughs) Anyways... um, I believe that when God calls, he enables, and I am excited to be here sharing with you what he's been teaching me through agriculture, Um, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you as it's been to me. This morning, I would like to start um, by highlighting, actually, I would like to highlight how nature and specifically agriculture, the principles of agriculture, can help us understand the Bible better and draw us closer to God. Then I would like to talk about how God wants to work in our heart soil to give us beautiful life gardens. And finally, I would like to discuss how we can sow seeds in the lives of others and why this is important. So to do this, I would like to start by going back about three years ago. The words seemed almost to jump off the page. It finally hit me. I was reading about Adam and Eve in the garden, And the thought came to me, if God put Adam and Eve in the garden in perfection, how much more do we, in imperfection, need to be in the garden? I was already interested in agriculture because it was the only occupation, to my knowledge, which could directly include all eight of the health laws. I also knew that food could be medicine, but in order for it to have all the potential healing and nourishing properties, it must be grown in soil which was alive and healthy. I wanted to live a healthy life, and I also wanted to help others on their journey to health. Here I found my niche. I could be a medical missionary through growing chemical-free, nutrient-rich food and pointing others to the master gardener. The story of Eden was the final piece of the puzzle which gave me the fuel needed to start pursuing a practical gardening education. But how and where? I struggled with these questions for many months. I wasn't finding answers, so I I knocked on other doors, which seemed to open but then would close. Finally, Aunt Janice mentioned to me the Adventist Agricultural Association. 
I looked up their website, and to my surprise, I saw people I recognized on the home page. Now, this surprised me because I had never heard of this organization before. But I had watched some gardening videos featuring the Dysinger family, and they were the ones pictured on the screen. I thought I would look up their website, and when I did, I found that they had an internship. I thought, oh, Lord, an answer to my prayer. Until I read, we are currently accepting applications for 2019. It wasn't 2019, it was 2020. So disappointedly, I left it as that. Later, when I was talking to my mom about my conviction that I needed to learn market gardening but didn't know how, she remindingly asked, what about that farm in Tennessee with that internship? I impatiently reminded her that they weren't accepting applications for the current year and that there was no option there. Unbeknownst to me, she called them, inquiring about the internship, and left a message. A day or two later, I was able to talk to them on the phone and found out that their next internship was going to start in two weeks. They encouraged me to apply, and I did. A couple days after applying, I was accepted, and a week after being accepted, I was headed off to Bountiful Blessings Farm in Tennessee. I later found out how much of a miracle the process of getting to the internship was. The Dysingers had been praying for another female intern. They already had three girls, three boys signed up and only one girl. There had been some possibilities, but everything was falling through. With two weeks until the internship would begin, they were a little worried but continued praying. Then, with two weeks before it was to start, they received my mom's message. The whole message was garbled except for the fact that someone's daughter was interested in the internship and our phone number was clear. They had all the information they needed and no more. We later discovered that their prayer was an answer to mine and that my prayer had been an answer to theirs. During the internship, they encouraged us not only to try and learn as much as we could about agriculture during our time there, but also to ask God to teach us spiritual lessons through the garden. We also were assigned books of the Bible to read, and we were to record every verse within that book that had something to do with agriculture. Then we would write the spiritual lesson of that verse and the agricultural lesson of that verse. I began to realize how the Bible used a lot of agricultural principles and stories and and verses that once meant nothing to me and flew over my head had new meaning. I began to look at the Bible with an agricultural lens and it became alive to me. I love how Ellen White says in the book, well, in the Review and Herald on October 27, 1885, that God's great book of nature is open for us to study, and from it we are to gain more exalted ideas of his greatness and unexcelled love and glory. Jesus also understood this. During his ministry on earth, he almost always taught outside, drawing lessons from the scenes surrounding his listeners. His own life was a life out of doors, and he spent hours communing with his father in the solitude of nature. He saw that if he could move the attention of the people 
from what man had made to what God had made, that they, by by beholding, would become changed. He knew that on what the mind dwells, it is molded by. So let us put on our agricultural lenses and see what we can learn from one of his famous parables, the sower and the seed. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 13. And let's start by reading verses 3 through 9. Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, because they had no root, and they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now my first question would be, as a gardener, why would the sower waste good seed on bad soil? In market gardening, which is intensive production on small plots of land with an emphasis on soil health, no one would plant a seed before they had removed the rocks, loosened the ground, removed the weeds, smoothed it, and fertilized it. For all seeds have a cost, and the more it is known for yield, the more prized the crop, and the better the fruit is, the more it costs. You want to make sure the seed has the best chance of germination before planting the seed. Who would be willing to look so careless and perhaps foolish in order to possibly or likely waste good seed on bad soil? Remember, this is a parable, so let's see if the Bible tells us who is represented as the sower, what is the seed, and what is represented by the soil. Mark 4 verse 14 tells us that the seed is the word. Luke 8 verse 5 tells us that the sower went out to sow his seed. To whom does the word belong? It belongs to God. So let us say that the sower is God. Now the soil. The soul of soil, a soul-building guide for master gardeners and farmers, states that soil fertility can be described as its capacity to nurture healthy plants. In other words, healthy soil equals healthy plants. Unhealthy soil equals unhealthy plants. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Likewise, 3 John 1.3 says, Beloved, I wish that in all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospereth. So let us say that the soil represents our hearts. I would like to propose to you that God is the one who was willing to look careless and foolish in order to see sow good seed in our desolate heart soil. Why? Because he wants to save us. Let us turn to Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us so much that he was willing to sow in us the most expensive seed he had, the life of Christ. Have you ever heard the saying that such and such a thing is to die for? Jesus loved us so much that he thought you and I were to die for, even before we knew him or loved him. The fruit which the seed of his sacrifice can bear, if it germinates and is cared for properly, is salvation. And that is the harvest which God yearns most for. Thankfully, just as the soil can do nothing to make itself yield good fruit, but must rely on the gardener, we also can do nothing to be saved, but must rely on God. And he promises that there is no soil which he cannot restore. Let's go to Ezekiel 36, 34, and 35. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. What a beautiful promise. And how does God fulfill this? Let us go to the garden to find an answer. The first and most important thing to do when you're starting a garden is to get a soil test. This tells you the true state of the soil and what is needed in order to balance the soil and make it fertile. In the same way, the Bible and trials are given to us to test our hearts and expose them as they truly are. They show us our need of a Savior and help us realize that we need the Master Gardener to remove from our hearts the rocks of relying on the faith of others, the weeds of selfishness, and to soften the hard ground of indifference and pride. Every soil is in balance, and every soil can be improved. The same soil handbook which I mentioned earlier also says that the place to start is where you are. Though the results of a garden soil test and a heart soil test may be overwhelming, they also bring hope because they show us a map, a blueprint of where to go and how to get there. They point us to the master gardener who can bring in the right types of organic matter to encourage the biodiversity of our soil to thrive and to apply a mix of the right amendments, specifics, to the need of our individual heart soil. All of this is very good, but does nothing unless the soil is aerated and moist. As prayer is the breath of the soul, aerated soil is necessary for plant roots to penetrate deeply and for the soil biology to thrive. Prayer is the key which allows the master gardener to work in us and to breathe his life into our hearts. Moisture is what starts the system and keeps it going. In order for seeds sown to germinate, the ground must, and must is underlined, must be kept moist until they emerge. 
Moisture is essential for nutrients to be broken down and for soil biology to make them available to plants. Likewise, we cannot learn to trust in God unless we learn to love him, and love awakens love. And proof of his love to us is in the seed sown and buried at Calvary over 2,000 years ago. When we see how Jesus loved us and understand even a fraction of what he risked, a love springs into our hearts and we want to be with him, serve him, and represent him no matter what. In the book, A Call to Stand Apart, on page 20, it says, Love must be the principle of action. Love is the underlying principle of God's government in heaven and earth, and it must be the foundation of the Christian's character. This alone can make and keep him steadfast. This alone can enable him to, do, to withstand temptation and trial. And love will be revealed in sacrifice. The plan of salvation was laid in sacrifice, a sacrifice so broad and deep and high and that it is immeasurable. Christ gave all for us, and those who received Christ will be ready to sacrifice all for the sake of their Redeemer. The thought of his honor and glory will come before anything else. It was this love which sustained Pastor Richard Wormbrand during his long imprisonment by the communists after they took over Romania. He was kidnapped in 1948 by the secret police and was to disappear for 14 years without knowing if he would ever be released and if his family still lived. Later, his wife Sabina would also be imprisoned for three years, leaving their young son, Mihai, alone. During this time, his only hope was in prayer. He prayed every day for strength, for his family, for courage. Though prayer in prison was forbidden and he earned harsh harsh punishment every time he was caught, he continued to pray. One day when the guard checked on him, he was amazed to see the pastor still praying. In frustration, he opened the door and angrily asked, Praying, you fool, your wife is in prison, your son is an orphan, your life is gone, and yet you still pray to your imaginary God? What could you possibly have left to pray for? Then came the quiet response from the faithful pastor. I was praying for you. If you had been that guard who had been so merciless, how would those words have affected you? This is how the love of Jesus can transform a man, that he would love even his enemies, and it is this love which draws others to Christ. We have a job to do, and our job description is as follows. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20. We are called to imitate our Father, to be about his business by sowing seeds in the heart soil of those around us. How do we sow seeds? The first step is to feel incapable. For when we feel capable, then God is incapable. But when we realize our incapability, what does God say? 
In your weakness, I am strong. The second step is to be willing. We know we can't do it alone. We see, that God is, we see what God is doing in our own lives, and we want to share it with others. This teachable, willing spirit is what God uses and will use to spread the gospel to the whole world. A soil can only bear good fruit if it allows the gardener to work in it and change it, because it knows it can't on its own. It can only bear fruit if it allows the gardener to plant seeds in it. Then it is willing to share its fruit because it knows that the fruit was produced because the gardener did all the work. John 15 verse 16 says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask in the the Father in my name, he may give it you. Can a soil choose a gardener? No. It is the gardener who chooses the soil. And God chose us even though we were the most depleted and wasted soil. Then he says, go. Can soil go? No. What leaves the garden to nourish others? The fruit. And what is inside the fruit? Seeds. And what fruit can remain forever? That is the salvation of men's souls. And when we ask the Lord that the fruit of our lives will sow seeds of salvation in the lives of others, he will answer. There is a poem I love called God's Nail by Mildred Hill. In beautiful words, it reads as follows. Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face that travelers may pause to look upon the loveliness depicted there, and passing on their weary ways, each radiant face may bear, stamped so that nothing can efface the image of thy glory and thy grace. Lord, let not one soul think of me, only let me be a nail upon the wall, holding thy picture in its place. Just as no one looks at the nail when admiring a picture— Let us not try to share fruit with those who pass through or buy our life gardens to draw them to ourselves, but to point them to the master gardener. It might be scary to sow seeds sometimes because we don't want to waste them, but we are not called to judge whether or not the soil is ready for seed, but to sow seeds in the way and at the time when the master gardener instructs us to do so and only when he calls us to do so. He knows the seed, and he knows the soil. He alone can make the seed germinate, but the seed must first be sown for it to germinate. Now this is how we fulfill Matthew 13, verse 23, which says, But he that received... Into, that he that receives seed into the good soil is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, and which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I would like to share two seed sowing stories which I have experienced, which hopefully will be an encouragement to you, and then we will close. The environment at Bountiful Blessings Farm 
was one similar to the home setting. Most interns called John and Pam Dysinger, who run the farm, Uncle John and Aunt Pam. We had evening worships together, had lunches together, worked together, and lived pretty much together. We sometimes went on trips or day excursions to take a break from work. It was on one of those day excursions where I saw God work what I believed to be a miracle. That day we were canoeing the Buffalo River, and the event, the main event, was to be cliff jumping. Now I can't tell you whether or not I was more excited or more afraid, but I was excited nonetheless. When we finally turned the last bend and the rocks that we were to jump off of came into view, a new surge of fear and excitement came through my veins. We cycled through, and finally it was my turn to jump. And I'll be honest, it took me a long time to jump, but when I jumped, it was worth it. Later, as we were preparing to eat lunch, a man who was kayaking alone came behind us, and he had seen that we were jumping. He wanted to jump too. So he pulled his canoe off to the side and climbed up the rocks to jump. After asking us for advice and encouragement and building up courage in himself, he jumped. And when he jumped, he jumped with his arms like this, and his left hand he had a GoPro. When he hit the water, the impact of the landing caused him to drop his GoPro, and it sunk to the bottom of the river. We could immediately see panic and disappointment in his face, but thankfully, because the Dysinger's son loves searching for hidden treasure underwater, we had snorkeling gear. So we all took turns diving down to the bottom of the river and looking for this man's GoPro. iPhones were found, Apple Watches were found, sunglasses were found, but no GoPro. After many tries, we began to realize that it was basically impossible that we would find this man's GoPro. He was starting to realize that too. And right when we were about to give up, Uncle John said, let's pray. At the suggestion of prayer, the man said, your God may know where that GoPro is, but who's to say that he will tell you where it is? After prayer, we were all excited to see whether or not God would reveal where that man's GoPro was. I swam out to the water along with the others, and I went where I thought it might have fallen. Uncle John yelled from the shore, Kendra, that looks like a good spot. I dove down, and lo and behold, there was the GoPro. We searched and searched before praying. After praying, we found it on the first try. If we had not prayed, that man would have thought, oh, those are nice people. But because we prayed, he was faced with the fact that possibly there is a God that cares for him. Another experience I had recently was spurred on by a presentation by Voice of the Martyrs, which my family and I watched recently. During that presentation, I was convicted that if those people could stand up for their faith and preach the gospel under even under harsh persecution, then I, in freedom, had no reason to hide my faith. I prayed that he would be, that he would make me bold for him. And one of the things I prayed for was that he would help me to have the courage to ask every farmer I visited if I could pray with them. On Monday, I visited 
a farm that I'd really wanted to visit for a long time. And they graciously showed me around their farm and answered all my questions. As the visit was coming to an end, I felt that nagging conscience telling me, ask, ask, ask. I was afraid, but God gave me the courage to ask. I asked, would you be comfortable if I prayed for you? They said, we're not believers, is that okay? I said, yeah, that's fine. I asked, is there anything that I could pray for you for? They said, can you pray that our baby will learn to sleep? (laughs) So I prayed. I prayed that God would bless their farm. I prayed that he would give them wisdom, and I prayed that he would help their baby to sleep. The next day, as I was emailing back and forth with them, they told me, our baby had the best night of sleep she's ever had. Maybe it was because of your prayers. Now, that wasn't because of me. That was because God gave me the courage to ask if I could pray for them. This is what God can do through his people if we ask him to use us. We don't need to be perfect, just willing. The sower and the seed is a story of salvation. God wants to restore and renew our heart soil so that the seed of the cross can bear the fruit of our own salvation. He calls us to work with him in the fields of the world to sow seeds of truth and hope in the heart soil of those around us so that they can be introduced to God who alone can save them. Let us always remember Jeremiah 32:17 which says, "Ah Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing nothing too hard for thee." God, who created the universe, loves you and he loves me. He made every person alive and desires their salvation, and he is able to save. Will we open our hearts to let God work in us? Will we take advantage of the freedoms we still have in order to sow seeds in the lives of those who seem impossible to reach? God alone knows the the heart soil, and we can trust him for he is the master gardener.